0: Good morning. Welcome to Money and Me. The Federal Reserve is pressing ahead with a quarter percentage point increase. Despite the banking markets roiling with uncertainty, the banking turmoil had prompted the Fed Committee to consider a pause. Or, you know, that means no rate rise at all. But Powell said its members had ultimately decided to press ahead with a quarter point increase with a very strong consensus. Some analysts say not proceeding with a hike would have revealed a deeper concern about the U.S. banking sector. Here in Singapore, Singapore's banks' exposure to beleaguered Credit Suisse may be insignificant, uh, as the Monetary Authority of Singapore has indicated. But you may be thinking, what about your portfolios with your robo-advisor? So today we've invited from Stash Away, Stephanie Leong. She's Chief Investment Officer. Good morning, Stephanie. Help us understand if Stashaway's portfolios have exposure to the U.S. banking crisis. Hi, good morning, Michelle, and uh, good morning to everyone. And thanks very much for having us here. I mean,
1: when the, when the banking crisis unfolded uh, about ten days ago, took uh, immediate action and review our portfolios, and uh, we have very, very minimal exposure to Silicon uh, value banks. Uh, the reason we have so exposure, which is less than 0.0062 in our uh, in our high-risk portfolio, is because SVB is part of the S&P index. And uh, as we track passively the, the global indexes, the, the, the fact that it is in the S&P means that we do have a, a very, very, very minimal exposure. But it's so minimal that it doesn't affect any of our portfolio returns. Send out an email to our customers uh, very, very quickly. Uh, and also, I guess, more importantly, as a company, we also don't have any exposure to Silicon Valley Bank uh, and the other uh, regional banks in the U.S. that are affected. So I guess all in all, uh, it's... It, We have uh, uh, almost zero exposure to any of the back prices that's going on in
0: the U.S. Great to know about the review, Stephanie, um, and the processes behind robo-advisories like StashAway. Help us understand your chief investment officer with more than 17 years of experience managing multi-asset portfolios globally. Can you help us understand what the role of CIO for StashAway means? What is it that you do on a daily basis? Yeah, so I am the, uh, the uh, Chief Investment Officer for Statuary, and I
1: took up the role uh, in 2022. Prior to that, I have been managing uh, portfolios for institutional clients, uh, like Goldman Sachs, and also family offices across Asia. So um, at Statuary, I'm actually responsible for management of all our client portfolios across our five different markets, uh, which total over uh, U.S. of 1 billion. So I'm, I'm the person, uh, on a day-to-day basis, uh, managing investments for our investors.
0: Fantastic. Help us understand how your work feeds into Stashway's portfolios.
1: Yeah, I guess Stashway, being a digital wealth manager or what a lot of people call global advisor, Mm -hmm. uh, we actually have a systematic uh, strategy or a systematic framework to manage our portfolios for our clients. So it's, it's quite different from if you um, uh, think about a mutual fund, for example, who has a portfolio manager who with a team of analysts that makes kind of investment decisions uh, every day based on uh, mostly, I guess, uh, judgment from a human being. So we do have a system. We have our, our algo that's been running uh, for six years now to manage portfolios for clients.
0: Now, you may ask,
1: but then, I mean, what is my job, right? How, mm. how, do I, how, how does my work fit into the portfolio, given that it's been running on the system? Right. So I guess my job is threefold. Uh Firstly, uh, we do have to monitor the system because the, I guess, I mean, there are different times when um, uh, different risks pop up, for example, just happened with Vision Value Bank, and we do need to monitor that uh, if, if there is any exposure and to make sure that actually the system runs as it should be. Uh, secondly, is that we also continually make improvements to the system, so uh, our day to my me and my team uh, keeps uh, updating the system and upgrading the system. Uh, and lastly, my job is to communicate uh, a lot of our investment decisions and uh, analysis uh, to our customers, because I, I think even though our customers trust us uh, with the money to, to manage um, it using the system, at the end of the day, they also want to understand what's going on. So it's very, very important that we explain to our clients uh, in a very, very clear and simple language uh, what is going on in the market and also how are we um, actually uh, managing the portfolio to make sure that uh, uh, the investments are safe under different environments.
0: Fantastic. All right. Here on this show, we promote financial literacy, Stephanie. So we'd love to find out more about your own investment journey. We know it's Stashaway, I think it was in 2021 when it made news that Stashway um, has more than 1 billion US dollars assets under management. Absolutely fantastic. Well, we bring it down to the very granular and personal level. Um, how did your investment journey start? Yeah, I guess I mean,
1: I've been working in the investment management uh, industry for the past almost two decades now. And when I started my career, I actually didn't start uh, in managing risk. I started in research. So I started my career, a financial career at research at Goldman Sachs, where I was responsible for uh, doing a lot of analytics on using data. I think that gave me a very, very solid foundation on doing proper analytics and also data analysis. And that, that, that really got me to be very interested in how to construct uh, optimal portfolios or construct asset allocations, meaning thinking about asset classes rather than single stocks. And in 2009, I, uh, I joined the trading desk at Goldman, which was also a very interesting environment. I mean, we were, we were traders mostly, and we basically... Uh, have to make very, very cost-paced decisions, uh, but we weren't really investing. We were mostly in trading, and there's a big difference between that, uh, trading and investing. Trading actually takes advantage of some of the very, very short-term movements, mm-hmm. whereas investing is actually thinking much more about the fundamentals and long-term. And I guess my journey uh, going from a trader to an investor actually was, I guess, how I went from the trading desk to managing uh, longer term portfolios for some of the very, very wealthy family offices in Hong Kong. And when I started working for family offices and, and managing uh, money for them, I realized that uh, for a lot of very, very high net worth individuals or family offices, the way they do investment is actually a lot more longer term and a lot more straightforward. So a lot of these family offices, for example, just hold the same stocks or ETFs for 20, 30 years. And, but they benefit significantly from the effect of compound interest, compound return. And I thought, I mean, this is actually a much better way to, to make money rather than, rather than trading. Because, I mean, trading, it, it takes a lot of hard work and sometimes the, the, the skills that are required, it's not that easily obtained. So I figured, I mean, investing is something that everybody can do. And that's why I joined Sashway to actually make it very, very accessible to everyone because investing should be quite straightforward and, and quite stress-free uh, for most people.
0: Thank you for sharing that journey from research to trader to an understanding of long-term portfolios for family offices. Let me switch gears and ask you about women and investing particularly. I mean, globally, there's lots of stats of the gender gap when it comes to investing between women and men. What do you think women need to know about getting started in investing?
1: I think there's three things. As female, we need to kind of think about or, 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 or to, to get into investing. Number one is, first of all, the awareness that we need to invest. Because a lot of times we feel like, oh, actually investing is, is not for us. Right? Investing is for like people who really want to make money, make a lot of returns. But it's actually not true. Investing should actually be a part of your everyday life, part of your personal finance management uh, journey. Because if you don't invest, it's very, very hard to achieve some life goals. Uh, now, I, I guess, for example, if you just money in a bank. Uh, that would give you, I guess, like 2 to 3% return on average, which compares to, for example, if you invested in the uh, SP, which is very, very simple, broad equity market index, you would actually be able to get like 8% to 10% return on an annual basis. And these things compound, right? Because let's say a difference in 5% a year can compound to many, many times over a course of 30, 40 years. So I think firstly, we need to be aware that investment is, is not optional, it's actually a necessity. Secondly then, I think we need to think about, I guess be a bit more confident in our ability to invest and invest. In fact, I mean, there's a lot of study that shows female investors are actually better than, than male investors yes. in some way. And I think if you look at some stats, only 20% of women feel confident about making investment decisions. But if you look at actual, I guess, even within sashway what we've done, like we've actually done a statutory Insights report in 2022. We try to look at, like, from our customer base, uh, how are female investors investing differently uh, compared to the male counterparts? And what we found is that uh, women in Singapore are uh, 1, 1.2 times more likely to keep a cool head and stay invested during tough times as compared to men. So, I mean, FEMA is actually uh, better investors. So, we need to be confident about that. And then, I think the third point I'd like to make is kind of use the support network that is available. Sometimes, maybe it's, it's your peers, your friends, uh, maybe investment groups, but also, for example, at Fash uh, we provide a lot of support for FEMA investors.
0: Uh, we've
1: had an uh, initiative called She Invest uh, for a few years now. And we, uh, we we host workshops. We uh, we, we we have materials that are uh, tailored to female investors to help them get started. So I guess yeah, there there is support that we can reach out to and get, and that helps females uh, uh, get started. Uh, this year, for example, we're we're doing a bit something different for IWD in the sense that we're offering 25 coaching sessions uh, with C-suite members to our female investors for people who are seeking for all sorts of advice, right? You can talk to us about uh, career advice or investment advice or or even, I guess, other issues uh, that may come up as a female investor. So we have a lot of resources and we're here to help.
0: Fantastic to hear. All right, let's talk a little bit about opportunities in the midst of all this uh, roiling in the markets. Some see this as you know, a challenge, and other people see this as an opportunity. So where do you see the silver lining in terms of opportunities to build our wealth this year? Yeah,
1: I think I mean, there's no question that we're going through some very, very turbulent periods. Uh, Follow-up is hard enough, and to be able to make the right investment decision is even harder. So I would say, I mean, compare actually to the start of 2022, I'm actually seeing more opportunities now. Reason being, even though, I mean, a news flow is actually very, very confusing, we see, for example, some assets uh, actually becoming more attractive. The reason why I say that is, for, for example, if we look at our different asset classes that are available on Sashway, short-dated treasuries because of the interest rate hikes that have happened, are now offering 5% in terms of give, uh, yield, which is the, the income that they give every year. So this compares to 12 months ago, where uh, short-dated treasuries or like, very, very safe bonds are offering close to nothing. So if you, uh, let's say if you have still money in the bank that is earning to 3%, it, there is actually better alternatives out there. I mentioned short data treasuries. These are very, very safe uh, government assets that are issued by the U.S. government, so they have no risk of uh, defaulting. Uh, they are very safe because they are also very, very short in duration, so these bonds actually mature in one or three months. So even if the Fed continues to write high interest rates, they would be, uh, the prices would not be affected, so they're quite safe. The other uh, pockets of safety assets would include, for example, gold, Mm-hmm. Actually, in all our uh, managed portfolios, with added gold um, because it's a good balancing asset versus bonds and equities. And in fact, in 2022, it has outperformed both bonds and equities. And we continue to think that this is a good pocket of, of safe assets to be in. Historically, okay. when equities are not doing so well, I mean gold tends to do quite well. So, for investors who Concern about global equities or you only have equities in your portfolio I and mean, think about goals. Uh, and then lastly, even for equities, there are some opportunities, right? For example, emerging market equities could become more interesting compared to developed markets, uh, given that the emerging markets are actually going through a different economic cycle compared to developed markets. Uh, we also prefer some more defensive equities, for example, added healthcare to all our portfolios. And then lastly, even for like, the broader index, right? If you look at S&P, last year S&P was trading at 30 times, uh, which is very, very high, which means that the stocks are very, very expensive. Given how stocks have fallen, uh, now actually the valuations are back to 10-year average at 18 times. Now, it's not like rock-bottom cheese. But at least you're not starting at a very, very high valuation. So I think there are like different pockets where, where we see things are getting more interesting. And then lastly, I would say if you have gone through 2008, if you've gone through like COVID, you know that uh, after crises, crisis, uh, there's always a recovery that's coming. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's important not to time the market too much because it's very, very hard to time it. Mm-hmm. very hard to catch the bottom. So one very good way to actually think about how you uh, start to build your long-term wealth is to actually make use of these opportunities. Uh, For example, doing dollar cost averaging helps you to get into the market without thinking too much about timing. Mm -hmm. Having a diversified portfolio also helps with that.
0: Fantastic overview. Thank you for those insights, Stephanie. Uh, one more question for you. We see the Fed continuing with the rate hikes, still trying their best to tamp down inflation over in the U.S. How do you think investors can think through inflation when they're making their investment decisions?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, inflation has been top of uh, everybody's mind because it drives uh, federal Reserve policy in the, in the past four months. Uh, inflation is not always bad, right? Because inflation actually comes when economic activity is quite robust, when growth is good. It's bad when it's too high, and obviously it, it has been too high. I think if you look at U.S. inflation, it has started to come off.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Chairman Powell also mentioned uh, disinflation as well in his, uh, in his testimony uh, and, and press conference. I think it is a good sign. However, because we're starting for a very, very high level of inflation, it will take some time for inflation to come down to where the Fed wants it to be, which is 2%. So I think we need to be a bit patient in this cycle. But higher interest rates are actually um, making some short-dated bonds like, quite interesting. As, as I mentioned, the, the short-dated treasuries are giving you 5% interest rates right now. So as an investor, I, I guess this, like, despite all the concerns and all the headlines about inflation, we should think about how we take uh, advantage of that. And, I mean, that's where actually uh, has a few um, of these income options. So, for example, tax management options, we have, like, that's simple. And then also we have uh, passive income templates. So, when interest rates are high, these fixed income like, solutions actually become more attractive.
0: All right. We can't let you go without getting your view on the Fed's near future moves and possible near uh, terminal interest rates.
1: Yeah, I think it's a a very, very timely interview because we just had the FOMC meeting last night. Exactly. Uh, and yeah, as the market and ourselves, like, widely expect, uh, the Fed hiked 25 basis points. And then also, I think in the Fed's communication, they also made a important change, which is that they think the path of the interest rates going forward are likely to become firmer meaning uh, it, instead of continually hiking, which is straight, they think they're actually closer to the end of the hiking cycle. And what Sharon Powell basically said was maybe we'll take a, another weight hike to uh, another 25 basis point weight hike, but then afterwards we'll have to see. And possibly they think they will hold uh, after that. So I think what he mentioned uh, or the rationale for that is because he thinks the events that have happened in the past
0: two, three weeks
1: are actually doing some job for the Fed. So there are different estimates, but roughly speaking, because of the tightening in financial conditions Mm -hmm. in credit and and banking system kind of liquidity provision, basically what happened in the last two weeks has tightened as equivalent to a a federal uh, interest rate hike of uh, roughly 25 to 50 basis points. So that is one reason why they're doing 25, not 50, because Actually, okay. if you look at equation data, look okay, uh, mm-hmm. at unemployment data. Mm-hmm. Uh, before what happened with the bank system prices, uh, the Fed was very likely to actually go with this. So I think number one is right. the, the, the tightening in financial conditions means that, I mean, the Fed actually needs to do less. And also the, the second thing I would say is that Powell actually mentioned like, quite a number of times that they need to be like, very, very data dependent and they need to watch... Uh, what's going on with the credit market, uh, with the banking system, very very closely, uh, and I think they will be quite uh, fast to react if there is any kind of systemic crisis or systemic risk. And I, I think uh, I've been talking to a lot of uh, our clients and a lot of our investors uh, these few days. Mm-hmm. One picture that I, I really like to kind of think about, or it just popped up in my mind, is the picture of a wax the game, WECMO. Oh, WECMO. Got it, got uh, it. <laughs> yes. Because I, I, I guess what we've seen in the past few months is we see different prices popping up in different places, right? <laughs> uh, not just in the U.S., but a few months ago, we had the Gilt crisis in, in Japan. Uh, we had problems with the, uh, the Japanese treasury uh, in China. We also had last year a an economic slowdown, uh, but... Governments globally have responded to all these crises very, very quickly. And they're very quick to supply liquidity. The Fed was very quick to react. And and the Swiss government was also very quick to react to what happened to credit to That's all because they've learned from the crisis of 2008. So in 2008, if if you remember, I I guess, when uh, the government let Lehman Brothers fail, that Mm -hmm. was when the domino effect to trigger into, like, a big, big financial crisis.
0: This time around,
1: what we're seeing is very, very quick government actions. So the the reason why whack-a-mole actually came up is because I think we'll see, continue continue to see uh, some other pockets of the economy uh, possibly uh, having uh, issues. But the government uh, and central banks are going to come out and whack that, right? They're going to make sure that nothing, like, actually uh, has contagion risk. So I, I think that's probably the picture that we're going to see in the next few months. And um, we'll see what areas are, are vulnerable. Because remember, the Fed actually uh, hiked 400 basis, 450 basis points last year in a very, very short period of time. So at 5% interest rates, there will be some areas of stress. And I think that is actually what the Fed wants to see, right? Because they, they want to see uh, unemployment higher. They want to see like, weaker economic activity to bring down inflation. Uh, but they also don't want to see systemic risk as well. So what they'll try to do is to link down fees. Uh, and the implications for asset prices, asset classes, is that it will still remain quite choppy. but. I think as long-term investors, it may not be a good time to start to accumulate uh, or, or if you have cash, put those cash
0: to work. Absolutely. Fantastic. Whack-a-mole and markets. What a great metaphor. Well, don't play whack-a-mole with your investments is always a good idea as well. Stephanie, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Michelle, and uh, thank you for having us. She's Chief Investment Officer from Stashway. I'm so glad the line held up from Hong Kong. She's joining us from Hong Kong. Stephanie Leung there from Stashway. This is Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.